Hello, this is Kalia in 2020. What you are about to hear is the remastered version of the episode that you clicked on. Why? Well, it turns out that when I started this podcast, I got some incorrect information regarding copyright law and fair use policy. After nearly two years of making content, this oversight was brought to my attention. There was mild panic, lots of guilt, and then a few fervent nights doing research. It seems we might exist in this gray, nebulous area of fair use for critique and commentary, and thus our use of a teeny tiny bit of the music from the soundtracks of the movies that we are critiquing and commenting on might be allowable. But then again, it might not. So a few things. One, I don't want to be a jerk, even accidentally. Two, I think it's important to acknowledge when you mess up. But three, and this is key... I think acknowledging your mess-up isn't enough. You have to rectify the situation if possible. And guess what? It's totally possible to go back into these old episodes and clip out the maybe legal, maybe just slightly crappy bit of audio and replace it with a bit of music created just for me by the same composer and performer who made us our theme music. Which is what I'm going to do. And since I can't help but tinker just a smidge, I might clean up a teeny tiny bit of audio noise while I'm in there. I mean... I've learned a lot over the last two years, and who knows, you might be stumbling upon this podcast feed years from now. So why should your present day ears be punished? Because way back in time, I hadn't yet found the noise reduction button. Anyway, without further ado, here's the podcast you came here for. Just slightly better. Thanks for listening. It's the Pages of Popcorns podcast. Jennifer and Kelly will edify It's the Pages of Popcorns podcast. Jennifer and Kelly are gonna talk, so you better damn well listen. Hello and welcome to the Pages and Popcorn podcast, the podcast where we... Jennifer and Kalia, two book nerds, talk about movies based on books as well as the original source material. Today we will be discussing the 1982 movie The Secret of Nim based on the 1971 novel entitled Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats and Nim, which was written by Robert C. O'Brien. But first, we're going to tell you all the ways that you can connect with us on the internet. As you know, we have a webpage where you can find sources, references, and updates about the show. You can also connect to us via our Facebook page or our Twitter, both searchable by typing in Pages and Popcorn Podcast into your search bar. We are now doing weekly polls, so look for questions about the books and the films, as well as questions inspired by our episode discussions, and then sound off with your opinions. And of course, you can email us directly at pagesandpopcornpodcast at gmail.com. We also want to thank our patrons for their constant and continued support and remind you that our Patreon levels start at $1 a month. So that's just one little dollar a month and it helps us and we can continue creating this wonderful podcast. And if we get more patrons at the $1 or dare I say, the $5 level, then we can afford better equipment and be able to do more exciting, fun things for this podcast. And of course, maintain the high quality and professionalism that you have become accustomed to. So check us out at patreon.com slash pages and popcorn podcast. And please consider supporting us in that way. And we really want to encourage you to rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us, especially on iTunes, because that will help other people find us now. On with the show. So, do you want to discuss how we came to this? Like, was this a childhood favorite of yours, or is this something new? I know I saw the movie as a kid. I must have seen it at daycare or something. And my impression was, um, sick kid, brave mom, annoying crow, happy ending, so standard child yeah i didn't really have a big impression or memory of it at all Uh, i was actually surprised at how much i remembered of it when i did watch it but i i didn't know it was based on a book until a couple years ago i guess um i found the book somewhere and i was like oh look at that it was based on a book so i bought it and it's been on the shelf and uh, i kept meaning to read it and see how it was different and uh i never had the chance really or the motivation until just now so <laughs> anyways um i read the book before rewatching the movie and then i watched the movie and because it is a children's movie geared towards children i watched it with my six-year-old child and so she has opinions and she will come in later if we're interested and share her opinions with us but there we go how about you all right this was a childhood favorite of mine this is in our library i watched it constantly i it was beloved 
I didn't know it was a book until my brother became a sixth grade teacher and they were reading it for class. And he had some interesting views on it as a teacher and what his class thought of it. Um, so I decided to read it because he always got me into YA novels since that's what he was teaching. And I was surprised by how many differences there were. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, what? but we'll get into that. <laughs> I So sixth grade, because I, I, when, during my research, I saw it listed as third grade level, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Like, I, I kind of wonder. So he's teaching, he was teaching it at a sixth grade level. Well, it was also a school where the students were usually a couple years behind in reading level. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But I think it's one of those where you can read it at various different ages and it's simple enough for a third grader to understand. And there's more complexity that if you're a sixth grader, you can bring out some more of the themes. Yes. My very tender hearted first grader would be pretty traumatized by this book, unfortunately. So we were going to have to wait a little bit before we read it. Interesting. Because the movie's pretty dramatic. Yes, but there's a happy ending in the movie. Mm, true. There, there's, there's ambiguity, ambiguity, and but we will get into that. Yes, we will. <laughs> okay, so go ahead, Jennifer. You get to do the recap. All right. So, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats are Nim. That was what was the original title. Mrs. Frisbee lives in a cinder block with her four children on the Fitzgibbons farm, where it is easy for her to find food and supplies for her family. After finding a large stash of corn, she returns home to find to learn her youngest, Timothy, is sick. Mrs. Frisbee goes to Mr. Ages, an intelligent mouse who is good with medicines and herbs, who diagnoses Timothy with pneumonia. With instructions not to expose Timothy to cold and a package of medicine from Mr. Ages, Frisbee goes back to her home but finds a crow trapped by string along the way. She rescues him from Dragon the Cat, and Jeremy flies her back home. Timothy is slowly getting better with the help of the medicine, but the next day Frisbee hears the sound of the tractor. Along with the neighboring shrew, she investigates and overhears the farmers. They're waiting on a piece to fix the tractor that will arrive in five days. That's how long she has to move her family out of the field, which won't be enough time for Timothy. Frisbee meets Jeremy again when out for more food, and with his encouragement, he takes her to talk to the great owl. They go at dusk, and the owl listens but has no advice. That is, until he learns she is Jonathan's widow. The owl tells her to go to the rats and have them move her home to the lee of the stone. When Frisbee goes to the old abandoned rosebush where the rats live, she asks to see Nicodemus and Justin, as the owl told her, but is turned away by Brutus. Brutus is a bit surly, but Mr. Ages comes limping in on a crutch and vouches for her. Ages and Frisbee find Justin, a rather handsome rat, and takes him deeper into the rosebush. There are electric lights and a rat-sized elevator. It's all very cool and amazing. There is an important meeting going on, so Frisbee waits in the library where she sees plans for the rats to move out of the rosebush. Shortly, she meets Nicodemus and an engineer rat named Arthur. They listen to her story and decide the job should only take one night. There is some small discussion about how to drug Dragon the cat now that Mr. Ages is injured, and they need a small mouse to do the job. Frisbee volunteers. While waiting for evening, when the plan to move her home will go into action, we get a long flashback told by Nicodemus. He tells her how the rats of Nim came to be. Once they were ordinary rats and were captured by the National Institute of Mental Health, Nim, Nicodemus, and his friend Jenner were experimented on, given injections that made them highly intelligent, strong, and nearly ageless. Justin the Rat communicates with them and escapes to explore multiple times. The researchers teach the rats to read, and the rats become clever enough to finally escape. The mice from another group ask to go with them. Sadly, when they are leaving through the air ducts, the suction blows eight of the mice away. Jonathan the mouse wants to look for them, but it isn't practical, so the group continues on. Jonathan and a white mouse, Mr. Ages, are the ones who are able to finally free the rats from the Institute. Free, the rats, along with Jonathan and Mr. Ages, stay the winter at a home of a vacationing family. There they have food and a vast library where they learn humans find them disgusting. And if not for complacency, rats may have been the advanced species instead of monkeys taking over civilization. Uncomfortable with the home because it isn't natural for them, they leave. On the road, they find a toy tinkerer who has probably died of a heart attack, so the rats bury him and use the tools he left. The rats move into the rosebush home and have intelligent children. Jonathan and Ages leave to find their own homes. But, though secure, the rats are finding they are becoming bored and lazy, much like their long-ago ancestors. Two factions form, one who wants to leave and live self-sufficiently, and another that wants to continue living in comfort while thieving from humans. Back to the present, Frisbee is off to drug Dragon the cat. She dashes across to the hole in the wall when the youngest son catches her and puts her in a canary cage. While trapped, she overhears the farmers talking. 
Apparently, a group of rats was electrocuted trying to steal a motor. Nim is interested to have contracted the Fitzgibbons. Fearing rabid rats, the Fitzgibbons allow Nim to plow up the rosebush and gas the rats. Justin frees her later that night, and she tells him of Nim's, Nim's plans. The rats finish moving her home and accelerate their plan to leave. They pack up their supplies and signs of their usual home, leaving ordinary trash behind. And when Nim comes, most are gone. A few stay to race around to confuse the scientists. As Frisbee watches the next day, one looks dizzy and collapses. It's Brutus, who accidentally inhaled the gas. Aegis saves him with his herbs. When Brutus wakens, he says that he and a few others were trapped. One rat saved him and went back for the others. Brutus leaves to join the others in Thorn Valley and we're left wondering if Justin died since he was the brave one. Timothy says he will go to Thorn Valley one day to see. Mrs. Frisbee and her children curl up and sleep in peace. The end. Okay, so that was the book. Here we get to the movie. So first off, Frisbee was changed to Brisbee over copyright concerns with the Frisbee corporations. Yes. So we have Mrs. Brisbee. We start with Nicodemus reminiscing on Jonathan Brisby, who died that day drugging Dragon, the cat. We can see Nicodemus's aged hands and gentle voice as he is writing with a magical gold pen. Nicodemus is saddened by both the loss of his friend and the freight of his widow. The next shot is an overview of the farmhouse and Mrs. Brisby getting medicine from a grumpy old Mr. Ages. He's a bit of a mad scientist, but he does give her medicine for her youngest son, Timothy, who has pneumonia. There is some absolutely beautiful animation and care given to details. On the way home, Mrs. Brisby saves Jeremy the Crow, voiced by Tom DeLuise, from his massive yarn he's gotten entangled in because he wants to court a female he hasn't met yet. Dragon the cat is on the attack, and Jeremy is a complete dork full of hysterical laughter even as the cat attacks. The colors are impressionistic in addition to some excellent musical scoring as the cat attacks. Together, Mrs. Brisby and Jeremy escape and Mrs. Brisby gives him some relationship advice. There's some very sweet time at home, but ooh, mysterious rats are running about the farmhouse with power cords. The next morning is moving day. Auntie Shrew and Mrs. Brisby have to take on the tractor. Animals are running away, birds are scattering, but these two little rodents brave the metal monster. It's only time before the tractor is repaired, and so Mrs. Brisby must find a solution. Nicodemus looks on from afar through a magical portal-like device. With Jeremy's help, she asks the great owl. The wise and sort of apocryphal owl tells Mrs. Brisby to move her home to the lee of the stone and get the rats to help. Mrs. Brisby enters the great rosebush where the rats live, and the journey is equal in both beauty and in threats. She is attacked by a silent, overzealous giant rat, but Mr. Ages, limping on a crutch, vouches for her and leads her through the miracle of nature and science into the chamber where the rats are discussing plans for leaving the Fitzgibbons farm. And my my, isn't Justin a very handsome rat. Jenner, who is sinister, much like a Dickens villain with eyebrows that don't even attach to his body, they just kind of hover around because he's that sinister, is leading the faction that doesn't want to leave the rosebush. Mrs. Brisby gets to meet the shadowy Nicodemus. He's an aged rat, who has Brisby read his journal and learn how her husband died. In the magic science viewing portal thingy, Brisby views the history of the rats of Nim. Nim is portrayed as a lonely, painful, and disorienting place where the rats have learned to read. They escape in large part thanks to Jonathan, though it's clear that the other mice, besides Mr. Ages, died in the attempt. Nicodemus gives Mrs. Brisby the magical amulet. The engraving on the back says you can unlock any door if you only have the key. After the portal vision, we have a cutscene and learn Jenner is plotting to kill Nicodemus during the Brisby home move. Back to our heroine, Nicodemus and Justin explain why they need to leave the farmhouse, that they're too intelligent and feel stealing is wrong. Mrs. Brisby offers to drug Dragon the cat that evening so the, so the rats can work in safety. Brisby is captured by the youngest Fitzgibbon son after drugging the cat. While trapped, she learns that Nim is coming for the strange rats in the morning. While the rats are working to move the stone with an ingenious mass of ropes, pulleys, and labor, Brisby is working to get out of the cage. In the dark, Jenner strikes, cutting one of the ropes. The house lands on Nicodemus, who is killed. Jenner takes his chance to become leader of the rats, but Brisby comes in to warn them about Nim. Her cries gets the rats' attention, but when Jenner sees the red stone, he becomes obsessed and attacks her. Justin is brought out of his torpor and fights Jenner, and Jenner's accomplice, Sullivan, is injured by a killer swipe of Jenner's sword. Is almost Justin is almost killed from a backstab from Jenner, but Jenner is brought down by a thrown dagger from his flunky. So it was a backstab of a backstab. So much drama. But just as they take a breath, Brisby realizes the block is sinking. Everyone inside will die. The rats race to help, but nothing can be done. 
The block sinks. All is lost. Mrs. Brisby's stone flashes. With the magic of the stone, she is able to move her home to safety and immediately collapses after. In the last scene, Brisby is getting her hands bandaged. Her family is safe, and we learn the rats, led by Justin, have left to Thorn Valley. Jeremy finds a mate as ridiculous as he is. The end. So, there's, um, can we just start with the main difference? So, the magic and the science? Magic! Yeah. Magic! The magic, not only magic, but a MacGuffin. Well, do you want to call it a deus ex machina or a MacGuffin? I mean, it has a lot of tropey names that you could put to it. Okay, I'm going to say MacGuffin because my understanding is a MacGuffin is the object that is important for no other reason than it's important and it saves the day. And that's literally what happens to this necklace. She gets this magical necklace. He's like, oh, isn't it pretty? Your husband left this for you. <laughs> okay. And then it'll, it'll, it'll glow when it finds a heart that's full of courage. Okay. And then, like, her house is sinking. It's all in the mud. She's all sad. And then it glows. So she's not actually doing anything courageous right then. She's done a bunch of other courageous shit. But no, no, no. Now that she's all sad, it's going to glow. It's going to levitate she's gonna touch it it's gonna burn her hands because i guess we're punishing women for power ah separate issue and then we're going to like it's going to magically teleport the house and then put it where it's supposed to be and then like the magic kind of blinks out oh okay so like sure but also it 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 drove Jenner to this mad passion of oh my god I want it so bad for no particular reason unless he knew it was bad whatever man it's just there and it's I okay so did you prefer the book to the movie no we will get to that at the end oh okay <laughs> but I really did not like this magic thing that was just there and I did not like the portals and it was like or or whatever the the beauty and the beast magic mirror slash star trek you know city on the edge of forever magic portal where we watch things happen in other places I I okay the magic part really bothered me I didn't that was a very big change I understand why they did it it's a kids movie and I actually even have a couple of quotes from Don Bluth who made this movie um kind of explaining his decisions but magic man Okay. All right. So first off, let's talk about maybe the plot structure of the book, because we have what's essentially two different plots that are happening in the same book. We have Frisbee and her children, and I'm just going to call her Frisbee or Brisbee. It doesn't matter. It's interchangeable. So Mrs. Frisbee has her children, <laughs> and then she meets Nicodemus, who is not that old. He's the oldest rat, but he's really not that old. He's pretty spry. Um... And he tells her, like, this very, very long flashback. It's almost a little over a third to half of the novel. Almost. Mm -hmm. So to adapt that into a movie, it seems like what they were trying to do is, okay, how do we make what are two different films a little bit more united in a cohesive way? Right. And and so Don Bluth definitely chose to focus more on... Frisbee. Brisbee. I called her FB in my <laughs> in my notes just because. But in doing so, in making it about which I thought was interesting. Okay, so that the novel is about Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. It literally is. It's about Mrs. Frisbee's story and the Rats of Nim story. The movie is more about Mrs. Frisbee, but it's called The Secret of Nim. It's <laughs> like, okay, but sure, that's fine. So but, this goes into adaptation. I and mean, if you're adapting, what do you leave out? What do you bring in? And if you have these two very separate storylines, is that... Well, you have to pick one to be the most, the focus. And yeah. so they picked Frisbee, with Frisbee, FB. They picked her, <laughs> and that's fine. And then they, they shrunk down that whole flashback into like three minutes worth of magic portal. Uh, yeah, so we get no magic in the book. Um, no magic in the book. So do you prefer having the no magic? I think that it made a better point. Okay, so here's the thing. Not only do they get magic, this is another difference. They get um, modesty. The The rats in the movie are dressed very elaborately. I mean, yes, Jenner has a cape, okay? He's like, I'm going to go full-on villain. Forget the eyebrows, man. I've got a cape to twirl. And he's so crooked, his sword is crooked. Like, everything is is just more. They're, they're wearing all these clothes. They're sword fighting. Oh, my God. Okay. So, but the modesty, the clothing, and you can see the mice are not fully clothed. They've got a little bit, like a couple of scraps. I mean, Frisbee runs around in basically a cape, but like the rest of her is all, you know, 
available to the eyes. But all the rats are very dressed, head to toe. They're wearing tunics. They're, I mean, it's very elaborate. And I thought, well, that's because in the book, there's actual pictures and the rats are not wearing tunics and pants and outfits and hats and like the whole thing. And so I thought, well, it almost felt like there's a point being made about with knowledge Okay, because I'm, I'm going to go into Genesis, mm. right? So the tree in Genesis, and if you eat this fruit, your eyes will be open and you will know good from evil, blah, blah, blah. Okay, and so what happens is Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and then their eyes are open, they know good from evil, and they become aware of their nakedness. Like, that's part and parcel. So in the story, we have the rats who gain education, they gain intelligence, and they gain morality. They now know right from wrong. Stealing is bad. Okay, that's like a thing that now they know because they've been educated and Some brought up. Some of them do. Some of them do. Well, again, in the book, it's it's less. I mean, there's there's definitely a divide, but it's not a violent divide. The the people who disagree go off and do a different thing. Whereas in the movie, it is a violent divide, which I think is making a different point about politics and groupthink. But okay, so anyways, our eyes are open, and now we have modesty. So now we're gonna cover ourselves. You know what I mean? I thought so. I thought that was interesting, but. Then you throw in magic and the whole thing kind of goes away because are you, if you're evolving based on education, are, are we saying that eventually we will evolve, evolve to have magical powers too? Like I just, that really doesn't work for me. So I like the idea of evolving and um, education leads to morality. I don't like the idea that learning to read will give you magical powers because I mean, I read a lot and I don't have magical powers. So where are my magical powers? Okay, so maybe we should just um, address the magical elephant in the room because that seems to be a thing. <laughs> Fuck you, magical thing. <laughs> to, to go back to... Uh... Okay, so the standard verses that we usually see is nature versus science. And that's very muddled with the rats being taken and they're experimented on. So they're not that natural state that they were in. So you can make that comparison between him and Brisby, though. I will say this. Brisby learns to read. She is a normal rat who is capable mouse. of reading. She is a, a massively superior mouse. Not a yes. Rat. And I thought that was interesting. So she was taught to read. And then she, in the book, she says she taught her children. Right? So, like, that's cool. That's, and, well, they, all, they also talked about, in the book, they talked about DNA. Where, like, they're changing the rat's DNA. So the, even Nicodemus said, our children, we're not exactly sure what's going to happen, you know, because of all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, it hadn't been that long. They are kind of within this one or two generations. Whereas in the movie, Nicodemus is like an old wizard man rat. So, like, it, it seemed like it had been a lot longer of a time that they'd been evolving or whatever. Which was also weird because then... That was just one of those choices that does not go with consistency because... Justin and Jenner and Nicodemus, they're all the same. So maybe the experiment works in different ways if you want to kind of go with the science thing. Well, I think in the movie they didn't name the other rats that were caught. They didn't say that that was Justin and Jenner. It was Nicodemus definitely was there and Jonathan was definitely there. But the other rats that in the movie didn't get named. So you could, I mean, it seemed like from watching it that they, other generations had happened. It had been a long, long time. I, I don't know. Maybe I misremembered, but that was my impression. Whereas in the movie, or in the book, in the book, it was very clear that Jenner was part, Justin was part. They were part of those 20 rats that had been experimented on. But regardless, we're getting off the tangent. So the nature versus science. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, uh, if you if you want to do a triangle instead of just, you know, it's one versus the other, you, you have the issue of mystery. Because there are those things that aren't discovered, and that doesn't mean they won't be discovered. But there is that mystery of, well, we don't know exactly how this works or how that works. Oh, my God. I feel like you're about to launch into it. We only use 10% of our brains. No, no, no. That's bullshit. Okay. I know it. Thank you. <laughs> so, fine, whatever. They put magic in because it's a kid's movie and they wanted to have magic. I guess now's <laughs> a good time to read that quote. Okay. But we also have certain things that are unpredictable. The future is unpredictable. And when you look at the struggle with the rats, you have Jenner who wants to stay the course. He wants to do the same thing that they've done. And then you have the other group that wants to embrace what is unpredictable. So when you are looking at sort of mysteries, you are looking at the future, you are looking at what is unpredictable. Sure. Unpredictable is not the same as magic. No, I'm just saying that it is adding another rather 
physically malformed mystery. So if you're going to personify mystery, this is what the stone is. Yeah. Or the director who says, regarding magic, we really believe that animation calls for some magic to give it a special fantastic quality. So this guy was like, it's a kid's movie. Let's put magic in because kids like magic. This was most apparent in the magic amulet given to Mrs. Brisby, which was meant to be a visual representation of her character's internal power, something harder to show on film, which... Granted, it is hard to show your internal whatever on film. The object was also meant to introduce a spiritual aspect to the plot, and the director remarked, The stone or amulet is just a method of letting the audience know that Mrs. Brisby has found courage of the heart. Magic? Maybe. Spiritual? Yes. And I'm over here going gag, 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 gag. And it was given to her by her husband, and it burned her hands. So... Again, okay, just going but, going back to the to the last unicorn. She's not fireproof. She's not fireproof. No. The stone was on fire. Because why? If you're making a magical stone, you don't have to make it fire that burns. It could be magic fire that doesn't burn. Why didn't even need to be? A- no, no. Making it magic was intentional. Yes. Making it punish her by using it. She's given a tool and then she attempts to use it and she gets burnt because I guess we have, you know, you have to have sacrifice or something cuz she, she has also a... saved her family. Of that's... course she does and that's great with the tool that they gave her that's also going to hurt her that she was never fully explained how to use. That then she gives back to the rats when she's done with it. Why does it not have magical powers anymore? Was that it's one was it a one trick pony amulet or does it have more powers but she doesn't want it or she felt she owed it to the rats because I Dude, I just, I hate the magic thing so much. <laughs> so much of this movie I love. I really did not like the magic stuff. So, yeah. No, I, yeah, after reading Don Bluth and his choices, and they went through a lot of drafts with this. At one point, there was supposed to be a magical sea bass that she saves, and that saves her at the end. And there there were so many weird incarnations as yeah, we were yeah. trying to, to revise this. Um I don't know. The magic thing, of course, it didn't bother me when I was a kid because I'm a kid. Yep. Kids are fine with magic. I, I get with Nicodemus. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to do this thing. And so you, you can have the author intent. Whether you agree with it or not is up to you. But, you know, this is the author's intent. This yep. is what it, the, the magic was supposed to personify. Okay. So we talked about our last film, The Eyes Were Watching God. We do talk about what you have to do to translate a book into a visual medium. And so as a visual medium, does this work in its own way? For you, it didn't. The magic part, no. The rest of it, I thought. Uh, and there was a lot of changes that I thought that they actually did better. And they, they yeah, for sure. But the magic thing, I, I didn't like. I was really happy that they took out a lot of Nim. Just from a narrative standpoint, from a plot standpoint, it's like you grind one to a halt to go on this other tangent. Yeah, so that was fine. And, and they shortened it. It was really pretty. So the other, okay, so differences. Mm-hmm. Magic, all in caps. So, okay, the, the the rats were very different between the two. We have them in clothes. I mean, Nicodemus needs a manicure in a really bad way. I don't understand how this society has swords. They're but, rats. They have long fingernails. Oh, it's not just long fingernails. That is like, this 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 rat cannot function. Long fingernails. It's just bleh. Okay, Jenner uh, was more of a political intrigue. Um, and freaking murder. They were less civilized in some ways with their guard of Brutus just being this big, massive, weapon-wielding guy. But So Brutus had a larger part in the book, and Mrs. And the Shrew had a larger part in the movie. Yes. And I, I love her. the Shrew. I Absolutely love the Shrew. I didn't like her when I was a child. Now that I'm an adult, I watched this, I went, I am the Shrew. Well, the shrew is a badass motherfucker, is what she is. My God. Okay, I mean, and we're going to talk about feminism, so let's put a pin in the shrew because, okay. yeah. Okay, so other big differences. We had the mice. Mr. Ages was not as friendly in the, he was more of a, like, cranky pants guy. Yeah, he and, was a curmudgeon. Yeah, which was fine. It was fun to watch. But there's, like, um, little details in animation that I really love. So when you meet Mr. Ages and you go down to his laboratory, he's shooing away the bugs and he grabs a ladybug and, like, tosses her off. And it's those little details that I find really, really cute and important oh yeah the animation was great and yeah. i think that they the, set the, the colors tone were incredible there's spider webs and there's details and yeah it's really very cool i will say the kids are much cuter and more fleshed out in the movie in the book we barely get anything about the kids we basically get a name in one sentence and then they don't do yeah, much one's a little bit silly one's a little this boy. and then timothy yeah. has more to do in the in the book but i like martin and the i, I like the mice and, and so they martin, were adorable and they freaking like you know were martin was the, voiced by will wheaton 
Yes. And Shannon Doherty was the oldest sister. I thought that was great. I was looking at the cast and going, uh-huh. oh, I didn't know that. That's so cool. It's very cute. Yeah. I, I liked the little mice. And Nanny Sheru also got a bigger part. So which they did a great job on the voice actors. So yes. even like young Will Wheaton, he is a great Martin. He, he's just so adorable and cute. Definitely. Yeah. Jeremy was very different. The crow in the book and the movie. In the book, he's there for basically two scenes. She helps him. Um, which with a great line about how we all work together against the cat, which goes into our theme of cooperation, which is really cool. Um, and then he flies her to the owl. And that's basically it. The end of Jeremy. Yeah. In the movie, we got a much bigger part. My six-year-old loved Jeremy. She giggled every time he was on the screen. She thought he was great. And I'm like, okay, I see why he's here. He's here for the kids. I, I felt like he was a little over the top. But, you know, I'm an adult and have less patience for that kind of silliness. I do like that so, he had his ending. He had a happy ending. I do think that he's an important aspect when we talk about gender roles and feminism, though. Hmm. So, um, which I guess is now as good a time as any. So we have Jeremy is male, but he all he wants to do is find true love and basically settle down, which is tends to be the female's journey in a lot of fantasy, right? So the guy's out there having an adventure, um, the hero's journey, and the, you know a lot of times women just want to get married or they want the you know whatever. Mrs. Brisby's not there for the romance; she's there to protect her children. She's you know being brave. She's pretty badass herself. All of these things. Jeremy is the flighty, silly, but it's not, nobody mocks. I mean, she's a little frustrated with his silliness, but it's not, she doesn't. Well, she she's calls not, him a bird brain in the book. Right. But he's not, she doesn't, um, he's not, it's not condescending. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, you're klutzy, you're goofy, and you want to find true love. And then he does. He finds a klutzy, goofy, you know, girl bird at the end. So it's, I thought that was kind of interesting, the, the gender kind of thing of that. And yeah, so... And it is sort of interesting that there is no romance in this. And you do have Justin, who oh. would normally be the romantic counterpart, but nope. Thankfully, she does not end up with Justin. Although there is some weird, flirty, sexual tension when he shows up and she's like, oh, hello. And like, oh my gosh. And I was like, can rats and mice breed? Is that a thing that can happen? I did not want to Google that. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but I, I just... I think it's maybe it's better. I don't think there's any problem with them flirting a little bit. You know, just because you're a widow or just because you're married doesn't mean you're dead. You can no, her husband's dead. Yeah. So she can flirt all she wants. I just thought that it wasn't necessary. And sure, whatever. He was supposed to be the the handsome guy, and he was, and he was all brave and amazing. Very dashing. Very dashing. But they did not end up together, and I was very happy about that. She ends up with her children, and the rats, you know, go off and stuff. So. Hooray for that. So so did you want to, since we were talking about feminism, do you want to talk about the shrew at this point? The nanny shrew. The nanny shrew. Yeah. So first off, we, we start off very almost too simplistic because our female character is the mother or and the widow, right? Mm-hmm. That's all she is. She doesn't even have a name. She is just Mrs. Brisby or Mrs. Frisbee. She does not get a first name. It's very problematic to have a main female character who does not even get a name. Her only name is the last name that's connected with her husband and... Her husband's name is the one that opens all these doors and stuff. So that, okay, take it for what it is, but that's that's annoying. Fine. So, but then the annoying shrew is also just there. Um, and she's, at first, she's just an annoying, loudmouth, busybody lady who shows up and is kind of like, rah, rah, at the kids. And they're like, and the oh. Book, she's not even named. She's, she's also shrew. the shrew. And then yeah. she's nanny shrew, but sure, also. So we have great lines, like uh, Jeremy says to Mrs. FB, he says, you were a girl once, like, give me girl advice. And it's like, oh, my God. And then also at one point when she's trying to talk to the rats at the end, Jenner says, she's hysterical. Don't listen to her because he's, you know, pushing her aside. Of course, he's the bad guy. So you're like, oh, the bad guy's being bad to this female character. So we know that that's a bad idea, you know. Um, Also... (laughs) One other little thing before we, we get into the, the change of feminism here is that the farmer's wife is wearing heels while she's putting the laundry out on the line. I don't know if you caught that, but I no, sure I did. Didn't. We, we get a nice pan across where, you know, Jeremy's in the clothes and whatever, and she's literally standing in the front yard hanging out the line wearing heels. And well, I was like a like, nice... Like 1950s housewife should. Yes, in a movie that was made in the 80s. <laughs> so, okay. Um, fine. But... But we're going to throw those feminism, you know, those little problematic things on their head because Mrs. 
Frisbee, Mrs. FB, is freaking awesome. She's brave and she's smart. She uses her wiles. At one point when Jeremy's like kind of bugging her, she's like, I need him to go, oh, Jeremy, I need someone big and strong to go look after my children. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm big and strong. I can do it. So she knows how to play the game. Like, that's I cool. I love the tractor scene when she and well, the shrew go after the tractor. Right. There's no hesitation. No the hesitation. is y'all... Don't do this. You're crazy. Nope. She goes. And then the shrew's the one who gets in there and busts the fuel line. Yeah. The shrew. Okay. So not only is the shrew, it's like her job to tell everybody about moving day. She's the one who starts warning all the animals, you know, and she looks majorly, wah, you know, very intense when she's doing it. But oh my God, that's a big scary thing, right? Yeah. So she, and, and, and she takes her job seriously. She warns the other animals. She gets into that tractor. She ruins the fuel line. She takes on the freaking crow. When Jeremy shows up, she's like, I don't know you. I don't trust you. I'm going to tie your ass up. I don't know what's going on with you. You know, she doesn't want, in the book too, she's holding off the rats. The rats show up to move the house and she's like, I don't know who the hell you think you are. I'm in here and moving this house. Nobody told me. And so I, I loved that. And, and another point about feminism with Mrs. Frisbee, Frisbee, is that in the movie, when she's caught in the cage um, inside the farmhouse, uh, in the book, Justin has to come save her from the cage. And in the movie, she saves herself. Girlfriends, got it. Yes. I was just going to say about the shrew, it is an example, a nice example of personification. You know, she is a shrew. That's her job. And that's her character. Yeah. So when you look at character arcs, Frisbee, Frisbee, FB basically from the start, she's all about her kids, but she does have this character arc where she does have to learn and adapt and do new things. And I love that she rescues herself. She gets injured and then she keeps trying and she figures it out and she goes, oh, I can do the water bit and yes. gets up this really intelligent way. And she even says at one point the, the owl is like, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, well, I don't understand, but I'm going to do what you say. And I didn't see that as a submissive you know, anything. I saw that as, okay, I don't fully understand. I'm okay with not understanding, but I know that you're the expert in this. I, I trust, you know, based on my experiences that you know what you're talking about and I'm going to do what you say. And I thought that was, that was good. She was very brave. This was a very amazing, very brave heroine who didn't have a name. <laughs> <laughs> there are some fantastic action scenes from just the very beginning with Dragon. Like, the sky goes red. The music is so well done. And apparently, when they were making this film, the music was one of the most difficult parts. Hmm. Because the conductor had to score music for scenes he hadn't seen, which is really hard. How do you get the pacing right? Mm -hmm. You know, you have to match the animation. So they would give him a, a few cells and say, okay, animate. And here's our animation. Do the music thing. He's like, ah... But it works really, really well. So it is a gorgeous film. It is a gorgeous film. Bluth Films, Don Bluth Films, uh, they were originally Disney artists. And Disney had died. They were kind of falling out of the heyday of the animated film. Bluth had the secret in him. He had just done Banjo the Cat. Mm -hmm. So he had a little short. And he left Disney to pursue this. So this was their first film. It was their most successful film. They also went on to do All Dogs Go to Heaven and The Land Before Time, which in our family is a classic. We watch The Land Before Time Shocking, a lot. considering you have a little paleontologist. A little paleontologist. Um, so I want to go back to some of the other differences, if that's mm -hmm. okay. Sure. Um, the Great Owl was about the same in, in the book and the movie, but he had the same glowy eyes as Nicodemus, and I did not understand. So originally they were supposed to be mirrors of each other, and... At one point, they were thinking of doing the same voice actor for both characters. Why? Let me see if I can find that. The owl wasn't in Nim. Okay, so John Polarmy, I'm going to say his name wrong, but he's one of the writers, used to wonder if there were any viewers ever caught the subtleties in the tale. First, the fact that both Nicodemus and the owl have the same walk, similarly glowing eyes, close vocal patterns. Might they actually be the same character in different forms? At one point, they even considered having the characters be voiced by the same actor, but that was dropped when it felt like a big-name voice talent needed to be added to the cast. What? They're not the same character? Like, Nicodemus is watching her talk to the owl. And why would they need to be the same character? I'm calling BS on that. I don't know why his <laughs> eyes were yellow. They did not to be to be yellow. Or let them be yellow because he's a big old scary owl and then not have Nicodemus with magic yellow glowy eyes. I so, just... Oh God. Some of this is how impressionistic is the film? You know, does the sky go red as soon as there's danger or is that impressionistically signaling to us that there's danger? Owls 
I have sort of glowy, reflective eyes. Sure. They reflect light. So is that the owl reflecting light? And is this an impressionistic view of an owl? Because owls don't have mustaches. Fine. But when you use the same colors to give one character magic-looking eyes and another character magic-looking eyes, and that second character actually has magical powers, then you can't be like, oh, I'm sure that they didn't mean to imply that the owl had magical powers. Like, I... Whatever. No. I found the owl to be really interesting in both iterations. He's just so old and creaky. And I use the term apocryphal because that's he's so cryptic. In the book, he's kind of tragic. He knows that his tree is dying and he's going to stay with his tree because it's his home. And if it cracks and kills him, that's his life. Yeah, he was just a sort of fascinating character who accepted his fate for what it was. Yeah, and even though owls eat mice, he doesn't eat her because then the book would have been a lot shorter. <laughs> well, there's also that we help each other. Well, we help each other in terms of the cat. They're all very clear about that. But, I mean... I, I think there are certain truces that you, you go through. I just feel like the only reason he didn't eat her because she was in his house being like, I'm brave and I I was married to Jonathan um, because I'm a female and my value is tied to the man that I married. And if she'd been out running around in the field an hour later, he'd been like, mm, snacky, snacky. And, you know, so. But, you know, the personification of animals is, is just, it's a hard thing for me. Like, when do you wear clothes? When do you not wear clothes? Do you have like, it's do you have pets? Really do you have issue. pets? Do you, do you, what do you do? Ella has this book and it's like the little critters. It's like this whole series, these little critters. And it's like this whole family and they do all of these little adventures. It's the little critters books. And I'm sure you read them because in the eighties they were big. And anyways, it's kind of like they're brown with like mousy kind of hair and mm-hmm. like, okay, big eyes, whatever. At one point there's a book where they go to a zoo and I'm like, Wait a minute, because all of the little critter's friends in the little critter's school book are other little animals. So who's in the zoo and who's not? It's like the Bernstein Bears going to the zoo or the water park or not the water park, like like the aquarium. And you're like, where are the lines and the mythos of this world? I don't understand. Okay, so I personification of animals just kind well, of yeah. Whenever irks you have anthropomorphic anyway, animals, anthropomorphic animals. That's what I meant to say. You know why? Why is there goofy when you also have Pluto? Uh, you know, they're both supposed to be dogs. Oh, but one of them wears clothes. I guess apparently he got injections from Nim. Apparently. Okay, so um, in the movie, Nicodemus dies by political intrigue and, you know, murder. Okay. In the book, two rats die and we don't know which ones. And you said in your recap, you think maybe one of them was Justin. Well, okay. So there were two rats who were killed. Um... The one that went after and saved Brutus and the one that went after to save the two rats, they don't know which rat that is. They're guessing it's Justin because Justin was the brave rat. Right. It could have also been Nicodemus who was their leader rat. And yes. Then, you know, really, it could have. Um, yeah. So that's ambiguous and annoying. And that's one of the reasons why they changed that is because people are not happy with ambiguous endings. Yeah. And you can tolerate that more in novels because you're supposed to tolerate certain things in novels, whereas... A movie needs to be a little bit tighter. You can't have as many loose right. ends. Well, and that's although it's a kid's movie, and we don't want... And we sat well, enough it's a kid's book. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we we can have Nicodemus die, and that's sad, but he was also really old. And I kind of wondered if they made him really old to make it less sad that he died. Like, if he'd been young and spry, it would have probably been sadder. But If he, you wanted to make it less sad, you could make him a little bit more like Mr. Ages. He was a very gentle soul. Sure. And that is supposed to be tragic. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just, well, Mr. Right. Aegis had, he was kind of, he was funny, even in his curmudgeon And so I feel like there's a, a different level of audience connection to that. Like mm-hmm. Nicodemus dying. Well, he's like the old guy. He's gentle and sad and mopey and slow and blah. Okay, fine. So, I mean, not to be all ageist mopey? here, but like <laughs> we see that and you're like, okay, he, you know, and even when we were talking, talking to my daughter, like, okay, yes, he, he did die. He lived a long life, which you can't say if Justin had been the one squished under there. So we don't kill Justin in the movie. We don't know if Justin died in the book. I thought that was, you know, yeah. an understandable adaptation, but um, well, Justin also has to have a character arc, and since he needs to become the leader, you have to have the old leader go away. Right, and he has to face, you know, again, there's more political intrigue in the, in the movie. In the book, that really wasn't what it was about yeah. at all. So I, I thought it was interesting there was a backstabbing of a backstabbing. Yes. 
Yes. And poor Sullivan. He's like this nobody little... He's a traditional Disney toady character of the main guy. He's the LeFou. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the same... Very similar animation styles of him with other stuff we've seen. But And that's fine. And he redeems himself. He's like, oh, man, we can't kill Nicodemus. And he gets kind of bullied into going along with his plan. And then at the last minute, he saves Justin. So, you know, so with his dying change, breath, basically. They did change the dialogue to reflect more Disney-style dialogue mm-hmm. when they were adapting the book so yeah there's a lot of disney in this even though it's not a disney film technically okay so we talked about feminism we talked about gender roles i still don't know why she did why she, okay whatever um <laughs> we talked about the evolution of education of involved to know right from wrong and modesty versus the evolving to want to dominate and i kind of feel like these are the two creatures or humans or anything evolving it's like what's the end goal so we have the evolution to understand right from wrong and to work together, more cooperation. But, you know, the twin of that is evolving to want to dominate. And that's what Jenner represents. He's like, no, we're as smart as humans. We're better than humans. So we should take over. That's what we should do. As opposed to in the book, it wasn't really like we're better than humans. Let's go to war. It was more like we want safety. This is working for us. And so we want to continue to do what we're doing. And you know what? It's it's the survival of the fittest. And like they're going to leave stuff out and we know how to use the tools. So damn it, we should be able to use those tools. And they get electrocuted. And they get electrocuted for their troubles. Evolved to have ethics. Yes. And that's the, the interesting thing about that is that there are certain behaviors in animals that do show that they have ethics. Altruism, maybe. Yes. Um, and, and that there are the dark sides of the lovable animals that we thought were cute. Dolphins are kind of messed up. So are ducks. But that's a whole other discussion. Just saying, animals are yeah. more complicated so, than, you know, their survival of the fittest. Okay, so again, we seem to have this theme of love and courage conquering all because it's magic and it can have you have telepathic, <laughs> sorry, not telepathic, but telekinetic powers. So I thought the pacing was cool. really interesting, though. It's in the book, it's very sort of slow and then you have these stories it's more stories in the book you have these really fantastic action scenes they're not cookie cutter action scenes for the most part like when she and jeremy are first trying to get away from dragon it, it's fantastic and mm-hmm. so one of the things that they did is they innovated the studio innovated a way of doing water reflections so that's one of the reasons why there's so much water in this film yeah but you have those, you have a moment to breathe, and then they, they know how to pace a film really well. I don't know that that is the same in the book. You know, the book has a lot of just long drags. Yes, I would agree. The book is a long drag. No, just <laughs> it's not a long drag, but it definitely has long, almost boring parts to it, just because it moves, it plods. Yeah. When Nicodemus is talking about Nim, was one of those. But it surprised me that even though Nicodemus is the leader, he often wasn't right and had to rely on the advice of the other rats. Yes, and I liked that in yeah. the book. We didn't really get that in the movie very much. We got, you know, Justin wasn't even... Okay, so she gets there. They're having this meeting, this meeting, where Jenner's basically like, let's start a war. The plan is stupid. Nicodemus is not there defending his plan, and Justin's not there defending the plan or whatever. He's just... there. I mean... He's a guard. He's a guard, but... I, okay, like, he's gonna be the leader, but why wouldn't he be part of the political conversation? I don't know. Like, it breaks down a little bit, but in the book, we definitely got more of a sense of, I'm the leader, but not because I'm the best. It's just because I'm the leader, and I'm listening to other people. Arthur's really good at engineering. He's the one who's gonna design the contraption that's gonna move your house, and so-and-so does this, and so-and-so does that, and we're moving the, the food, and we're making these plans. But that's a really brilliant thing about leadership, is that leaders listen to the people that are their experts. They listen to the people who have good ideas. Yes, and I did not see the theme of good leadership in the movie at all. Nicodemus is separate from everybody else, hanging out with his magical amulets, his magical pens, and his magical portal worth of spiness. And then you've got Justin, who's a guard, who's also kind of around, but sure, and doing his own stuff. And then you've got all the worker bee rats, basically. And then you've got Jenner. Like, I, I, What made me really sad, and it, having read the book, and there's frisbee and she finds out oh that's how my husband died and she has this sort of very it's a very short little breakdown but it's an understandable moment of mourning in the movie they could have told her you know they were watching her and that seems like such a betrayal it to is me. 
It is such a betrayal. And, and I did like in the movie that we have this female character who can be sad, who, you know, has emotions and is scared and faces her fear and all of that stuff. It's not a failing on her part. But yeah, I'm writing my journal. It's so sad that Jonathan died. Oh, well, I'm not going to bother to tell his wife what happened to him. He's just never going to come home. That's cool. I'm going to spy on his wife. Oh, yes, go to the owl. Off you go to the owl. Oh, the owl has told you to come to me. Oh, okay, now I'll be ready for you. I'm not going to, I don't know, tell Brutus that you're coming so that he doesn't scare the shit out of you with his big old sword. Oh, no, I'm going to let you flounder your way. Okay, just the men. (laughs) The boy rats. Grumble, grumble don't like. So originally there was going to be a female rat that she's going to interact with who is a bit of a motor mouth who had a little bit more of Jeremy's characteristics. Mm-hmm. And well, then she was written out. And she's in the book, Isabel. She's like young and she's, yeah. you know. So she was going to have a bigger role. Yeah. And I read an interesting thing. They gave some of her lines to Nicodemus. And I was like, which lines? <laughs> Whoa. Can I watch that where Nicodemus is like, has a crush on, you, on Justin? I would be... Sure, okay. Like Okay, that would be a much more interesting. Maybe that's movie. just Justin. Yeah. Maybe Justin is the Shane from the L word in, in The Secret of Nim, where everybody just loves Shane and can't get over Shane. And in, in The Secret of Nim, everybody loves Justin, even even if you're not a rat, even if you're a mouse. You're I was just thinking about 310 to Yumba, where you had the unrequited crush. Oh, yes. Oh, Charlie <laughs> Prince. Okay. So, other themes. Oh, okay, hey, we have racism. Yes. Big time. <laughs> You want to talk? Because I, I have led the charge on some no, of these I'll things. No, I'll let you because you have the thing. I just Well, I go for racism it. in the movie. <laughs> Nanny Shrew is pretty anti-rat. Her language is very reminiscent of racial slurs. She's also talking about how they're, they're they, she's, okay, she's very judgy of the rats. She doesn't trust them. And, okay, at first, her rail sounds a little like living off the system, these welfare people, blah, blah, blah. Uh. But... They literally are. They're stealing electricity. They're doing all these things. Now, they want to not do that anymore, and they want to move on, and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, okay, so let's not be bigots, but, yeah, I thought that was interesting. (laughs) She was like, these ugly, bad, good-for-nothing hooligans. She calls them hooligans. Like, there's a loaded word. And then we're going to go off, but also they were stealing. Yeah, there's only so much you can say on that one. So, hmm. Hmm. I thought it was interesting. You pointed out in your summary of the book where the rats were like, we're like the most hated. Even like people think we give diseases. Do you know how many diseases humans give each other? I thought that was hysterical. (laughs) Yeah, man. And how like the rats had evolved to become prairie dogs. They got all flat, you know, fat and complacent. And um, that is why now these rats are like, we don't want to get fat and complacent. Like we need to struggle. Okay. And I know I talk about Star Trek a lot, but I'm going to do it again. Well, you have your shirt on. Well, I, I do. Yeah. Okay. So in the original series, there's this recurring theme where Kirk, Captain Kirk, is like, you have to struggle. You have to have pain. You have to have sadness and blah, blah, blah. And if you don't, that's bad. We can't just have all of our problems fixed. We have to have the struggle. We have to keep working, you know. Oh, you have this perfect symbiotic relationship with the magical being on your planet named Vol and you're, you know, no, I'm going to destroy Vol because you should learn how to do other things. It's called freedom and you're going to like it. He even literally says that, okay? It's like, okay, so we have that idea that struggle is good for the sake of struggle, which you may or may not agree with. And in this, it's the same thing. The rats are like, well, we don't want to steal so that's a that's a valid thing, but then there's also this component of we need to go out and make it on our own so that we can continue to evolve because we can't evolve if we're not struggling. And I'm over here going, but maybe you could evolve in a different way. Like there's technology. Nobody in your book has invented the internet yet, so get on that, rats. Like there's other ways. Just because I don't work in a field during the day or or struggle with manual labor. You know, that has opened up. We have the industrial revolution or the technology revolution. We have ways people can continue to evolve. Anyways, do you have thoughts on that? I'd have to look this up. But there is this idea that your knowledge, what it actually is, isn't close to what you think it is. So at one point they're saying, well, okay, we could go off and we'll be self-sufficient. What about electricity? We won't have electricity. And there's Nicodemus saying, well, then we'll have to learn how to make it. Your ability to like reinvent the wheel is limited. And you don't have to reinvent a wheel if there's already wheels. I just, I, I love when he's thinking about the rat race and going, why are they calling it the rat race? It's the human race. We rats don't do that, except we kind of are. 
But the whole idea of monkeys evolved, you know, we're, we're the evolved species just because we had to, like, sit in a tree and work to get our food. Yeah, it's it's weird. And so I'm glad that none of that made it into the movie. There's a lot of bad science here. I, guess, I mean, <laughs> 1970s, right? Sure. And he's a sci-fi author. Who... Right, right, right. So, grain of salt, the size of a mouse. <laughs> just... Okay, so cooperation was another theme. Mm-hmm. We all help each other and one another against the cat, she says. The the mice, so the rats are escaping. They don't technically need to take the mice with them when they're escaping from Nim, but they have altruism. They're compassionate. They take the mice, thank goodness, because then the mice actually helped them get out the final leg of the journey. They didn't have the mice. They wouldn't have gotten out, at least not that way. They might have come up with another way. Who knows? And then again, like now the rats are helping her move her house. Okay, you know, all of that stuff. We've got a lot of cooperation so that's I don't cool. Know that that's full altruism, though. Full altruism, and you do it without getting anything in benefit in return. And here, it's more symbiosis, where you help somebody else because they do help you in return. Well, they let the mice out of the cages. Pretty sure the mice were not going to be able to help them. True. But so that that the, that's where I say altruism. Yeah. The lesson of the book, though, is you see the effect of being kind. Oh, you get kindness in return. Oh, Jonathan did this? Then, you know, his widow and children are going to survive because he did a thing that set that up. Yeah, because they came and asked for help. Not because we were, like, checking in on them or taking care of them. So the message of the novel is help each other because you might get something back out of it. I think the message in the book is more cooperation is better than yes than being splintered and separate. Absolutely. So, But I would juxtapose that against altruism as altruism, you do a thing just because it's the right thing to do. Sure, I don't think we're disagreeing. I think they let the mice out because they were like, oh, these mice, they, they were filled with compassion. We don't want to leave them in the cage, you know? Okay, mm-hmm. so we'll help them with no expectations of benefit. Turns out the mice were able to help them back. Oh, that's cool. Fine. Separately, you have the non-educated animals out there. We have the birds, like the crow and Mrs. Frisbee. And she's like, we all help each other against the cat. And it's just against the cat. It's not, I'm helping. She didn't expect, he even said, I will come and help you. Um, later, because it's my fault that you were even in danger from the cat. In the book, he says that. So in the movie, Jeremy's way too flighty to figure this out. But in the book, she helps him from the goodness of her heart, basically. She sees that he's in trouble. She's not expecting him to come back and help her later. And when he offers, she's like, no, no, no. And he goes, well, yeah, of course I'm going to help you. Because if I hadn't put you in danger, then you wouldn't have even needed to help me. In the fr- you know what I mean? So but I think that message gets a little bit more muddled when you can see the consequences of what happens. So if the mice didn't help them, if the rats just helped the mice and they all escaped and the mice didn't have to turn around and help them in return, that would be true altruism. Whereas it seems like from a thematic standpoint, from a lesson learning standpoint, oh, if I help the mice, then the mites might help me later because that's what they do. I should help this crow because the crow will help me later. I don't think she was helping the crow with the expectations. No, that's not what the characters are doing. I'm just saying the message from the book versus what the characters are doing. So the characters are doing this thing because we all help each other against the cat. It is something that they do just because they all need to survive. The rats help the mice because, oh, well, the mice are poor and we need to do that. That's from the character standpoint. But from a lesson standpoint, from the plot standpoint, it is you help each other because... Together, again, you're right, we're stronger together than splintered factions, but you do get something out of it. Okay. I just think we could stop at the end of the sentence with splintered factions. Okay. (laughs) So, fine. (laughs) But I'm just saying, like, for me, the message is cooperation is better than beings into splintered factions. You're adding the second part, and we'll get something better from each other down the road, blah, blah, blah. Which I just, okay, but... In a book about altruism and ethics... You know, if you want to look at ethics, there are like these very distinct little sections of it. Just saying. So the work was inspired by the research of John B. Calhoun, Calhoun on mouse and rat population dynamics at the National Institute of Mental Health from the 1940s to the 1960s. They were actually trying to teach rats how to rape. In July 2009, Paramount Pictures set Neil Berger to write the script and Carrie Garnell to produce the film based on the book, what, you might say? Yes, that's right. In 2015, MGM, who released the 1982, acquired the rights to book to adapt it for another film, a live-action CGI film. It's planned to be a CGI live-action, kind of like The Smurfs and Alvin and the Chipmunks. It'll be an origin story in which an imperiled mouse protagonist befriends a comical crew of lab rats as they turn hyper-intelligent. They escape a secret laboratory and become the greater minds 
of vermin civilization forced to outwit the humans hot on their tails. The studio plans to turn the novel into a family franchise. Dear God, no. Right? That just sounds awful. So, on (laughs) that note, there actually have been two books written by the author's daughter, Mm -hmm. and they're both not good. They're sequel-esque. Yes. And and there is a sequel to the Retinim, Retinim 2, where, okay, so Timmy is... Is it Timmy or Martin? I thought it was Martin. Okay, so Timmy is the chosen one, and he goes to Thorn Valley to meet all the rats, and Martin takes drugs to become the mad scientist that later goes after Timmy. Oh, God. Okay, and yeah. It so is, It is so bad. Just it is skip, so bad. Skip all the sequels is, yeah. is our thing. Okay. Um, I did this for you, so you don't have to. Do not watch that film. It is terrible, and it will hurt. Okay, so uh, is there anything else before we do our final Was It Worth Your Time? Anything else you want to touch on? I loved the movie as a kid. I thought it was great. I thought it was interesting when my brother taught this book to his sixth graders. They didn't like the movie. They liked all the science. And it's like, oh, magic. Why is there magic in this? There doesn't need to be magic in this. So shocking. So, yeah, if you have a little six-year-old who wants to watch a movie about rats, let your six-year-old watch a movie about rats, and it's cute. Um, The book isn't one of my favorites. I Unfortunately, it does ruin my view of the movie because, yeah, when I read the book, I don't like the magic. I don't have as much of an acceptance of it of just, oh, it's a kid's film and just let it be. Yeah, I read the book. I have, yeah, there's issues with the book. The pacing's weird. It's telling two stories. It's dry. Mrs. Frisbee does not have as much autonomy. It's, she's definitely not a feminist heroine. And not that every female character needs to be but you know then when it was made into a movie and she became this feminist heroine i was like that's awesome but we also add magic in because maybe maybe we can only have feminist heroines if we're in a fantasy land hmm, i don't know <laughs> anyways so i think I we're re- extrapolating a little too much out of that i really don't like the the magic part i really i really don't the rest of the movie i really liked i liked the the visuals are great. The music is great. Mrs. Frisbee is great. Frisbee, whatever. Mrs. FB, she's great. Everything was just more. The rats were more. The the danger was more. The the drama I love was more. The Rosebush scene when she's going through there and there's all the electricity. It's cool. Yeah, everything was more, and it was cool. Like it was, it was very cool. So um, it it was less about the rats, and you know the rats didn't end up actually saving her house. The rats were leaving but we didn't really get too much about that again i feel like it was mistitled it didn't seem like the movie was really about the secret of nim at all it seemed like it was about the awesomeness of this female heroine who was doing cool stuff to save her kids so so if you take the the original animator writer's view the secret would probably be the stone and magic and the mystery of it um if you take a, a a less positive view of his vision um it, it's annoying. <laughs> it's just annoying magic. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. I, I'm glad I watched it, the movie. My daughter really liked it. She'll probably be disappointed once she reads the book and sees, you know, how it ends, because it ends not so great. Yeah, yeah, it's a problematic ending. Today's episode was brought to you by our Patreon patrons you too could be a patreon patron and what you don't know is that as soon as we stop recording i have this whole exciting list over here uh fun patreon perks we're going to be discussing so now is your chance go over to patreon.com slash pages and popcorn podcast and join us at the one dollar level or the five dollar level and keep your eyes and ears peeled for what's coming. Oh, and remember to check out the polls on our Facebook page. Also, if you just can't afford to support us at this time, but you like our podcast, please leave a review because that will also help. Yes, we'd like to have more people listening. And, you know, give us a little like or whatever you have or subscribe. Yep, like, subscribe, rate, review, all of that good stuff. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening. But wait. If you thought that was the end of the episode, you have a surprise, because we have another four minutes or so. Let me go ahead and play our very special interview now. Okay, so we have a special guest, and we are going to be talking to... Would you like to say your name? Uh, um, My name is Ella. And how old are you? I'm six years... I'm six six and a half years old. Okay, and we watched the movie. Uh Uh-huh. Together, me and my mom. Right. 
And what did you think of the movie? I liked it. Are you distracted by the, <laughs> the blinking lights of the recording? So, well, what did you like, Mrs. Frisbee? Mm-hmm. Was she cool? Mm-hmm. She was did very you... brave, right? Yeah. What did What did you think about the old rat with the long fingernails? Um, at first when he was writing, um, it looked um, I I didn't know who it was or what it was. Yeah. Yeah, had a lot of, what's happening? Why is he doing that? What did you think of Jeremy the Crow? I thought that he was kind of funny. Yeah? Yeah, you liked him. Do you like that he found a girl bird at the end? Yeah. Happy yeah, ever. And, and I like that he came and he had tons of string. Yes, yes he did. <laughs> and, I won't, I, and I also don't really understand why he kept getting tied up in string. Because <laughs> he's clumsy. He's a clumsy bird. Clumsy bird. What about the cat? Was the cat scary? Who was scarier, the cat or the owl or the rats? The owl, the owl looked really scary. Yeah. yeah. But it was actually really helpful. Yeah, but it looked scary. That's true. That's true. And it had a happy ending? Yep. Yeah. Do you remember the scariest part or the funniest part? The scariest part was probably when the house fell down. Oh, yeah. When they cut the cord and the house fell into the mud. That mud part was pretty scary, huh? But was what was the best part? The happiest part? Well, the end. The end. When they when they were all together, the family, the mouse family. Mm-hmm. And I also thought when she had the necklace and she was holding on to the rope and the hands got pulled and and like the houses like closing in on the mud, I thought that looked pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. I love that part too. Awesome. Okay. Any final thoughts or? Feelings about it? Should other people see it? Would yeah. you Would you recommend this movie to a friend? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So and would you Would you watch it again? Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's actually on Prime. It's included with Prime. So we it's on YouTube for free. Well, it's on Prime, so it was included with Prime, which means cool. we didn't have to rent it. <laughs> so and that means she can she cannot watch YouTube, but she Prime. can watch. That it's I on Prime. I can watch YouTube no. of you guys with us. Very, very carefully monitored YouTube watching. Okay. Anything else? Um. Um. Not will we? Okay. I really well, like the movie. Mm-hmm. Do you want to read the book? Well, I am only six and a half. Maybe when I'm a little older. When you're a little older, it is actually a book that's geared towards kids. And like the third, fourth grade level. Do you think you might be interested? Mm-hmm. But I'm only in fourth grade. Well, that is true. This is like for bigger kids. Oh, okay. You said at fourth grade level, mm-hmm. which is like when you are in fourth grade, and I'm only in fourth. I don't really like scary books unless it's like the scary and like movies geared towards kids. That kind of scariness I like, like the exciting scariness. Uh huh. Was this movie, The Secret of Nim, was it too scary or was it just scary enough? Mm, just scary enough. Yeah, so a little cuddling, but you were okay. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't have to hide our eyes at all. Okay, well, thank you very much.